Welcome, everyone. You're on localjobnetwork.com radio, and I'm your host, Jacqueline Peterson, and you're listening to Government Compliance, where we take federal contractors and subcontractors through the current trends of affirmative action planning, equal employment opportunity, and Office of Federal Contract Compliance programs. And today we have expert Sandy Ziegler, a recognized authority on federal EEO enforcement with 25 years of experience divided equally between the EEOC and the OFCCP. Sandy, before we dive into today's topic, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, certainly. Uh, and thanks for having me on your show. I will tell you a little bit about my ADA background, since that's the, uh, the topic of the day. When they first signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, I had the uh, good fortune of working with uh, Naomi Levin, and the two of us wrote EEOC's uh, initial regulations for uh, not discriminating in employment on the basis of disability way back in 1990. Don't date yourself. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't worry about dates. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, the, you know, that actually, uh, I think was probably one of the most significant things of, the, of my career in those 25 years. Okay. Well, we brought you in today because you recently wrote an article about how the American Medical Association, also known as the AMA, classified obesity as a disease. Now, how might this new disease, if you will, influence the way obesity is treated in developing public policy? Well, one of the things that's interesting is the AMA, they actually had a council that said that it wasn't, and then the AMA as a whole overrode that and decided that obesity was a disease, which is interesting because when it comes to disability, quite often it starts with the definition of impairment. Uh, The definition of disability, there are three ways that you can be a person with a disability. You can actually have a disability, which means you have an impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. You can have a record of an impairment that substantially limits, or you can be regarded as having an impairment. Uh, And these definitions all start with an impairment. Impairment, a disease would be an impairment. And one of the things I think is interesting, even though there's not legal weight to their vote, is that public policy is often determined by what is it that the medical profession says about a particular situation. And so now that the medical profession has actually expanded from just saying it's a condition or it's epidemic in the U.S. and are now saying it's actually a disease, then anyone with obesity, as opposed to just a certain subcategory of people with obesity, would at least be able to show they have an impairment. Now, an impairment is not automatically a disability, but it is the beginning point. Okay, so you just said having an impairment doesn't necessarily mean that the person has a disability. Can you go into the definition of a disability according to the Americans with Disability Act? Well, you know, the definition of disability has really been a a big point of contention under the Americans with Disabilities Act for quite a while because the courts were interpreting it very narrowly. So recently, in 2008, they revised the Americans with Disabilities Act for the purpose of making the hurdle of showing your person with a disability nowhere near as, as high as what it had been looked at before. So you have both the, uh, the lowering of the, the basically the threshold for coverage under the act combined with this definition of obesity as a disease. So to give you some perspective, uh, you had to show that you were substantially limited compared to the general population, which before the 2008 amendments, you were looking at impairments that either didn't allow you to do something or severely restricted how you did it. Uh, and that's how substantially limited was looked at. Well, after that, that was considered too tight a standard. So now you don't have to show it's a severe restriction. 
uh, or that you can't do something. The definition is not really narrowed down completely, but it's something less than that. Uh, and it's not supposed to be a extensive, long analysis. There were cases after cases just on whether or not the person had a disability. And the revisions were intended to eliminate that and take the focus away from worrying about whether the person had a disability. That should be fairly simple showing uh, according to the, you know, the amendment. And what you should focus on is what did the employer do? Did they treat this person in a way uh, that shows that, they, that it was the condition that you know, caused them to have either a lesser employment opportunity or not get something uh, that they should have gotten and would have gotten had they not been a person with a disability. And for the regarded as portion of the definition, because you could have a disability now, mm-hmm. you could have had one in the past and there could be medical documentation of that that the employer is acting on, or the employer could be treating you in a way that shows the employer thinks whatever it is that you have is a disability. To show regarded as, you used to have to show that what the employer thinks you have would, if, it, if you truly had it, amount to an actual disability. Well, that's completely gone from the 2008 amendments. They took that out. They said, basically, you just have to show that regardless of whether whatever the employer thinks you have would have really substantially limited you, we're just looking at what the employer thought it did to you. So the whole question of whether it met substantially limited would be completely beside the board in the regard of that situation. So if I didn't put you in a position because I think people with your condition can't do it, it doesn't matter whether what, what I, you know, whether, how true what I think that condition does is. It's just that I acted on the fact that you had the condition. So in, when you put all of those factors together with this new expansion of where the point of disease occurs when it comes to being overweight, uh, that it occurs at the point of obesity, I think then you, you start having the opportunity for a lot more people to come under the definition. And so generally speaking, when you, if you are a person with a disability, isn't the onus on you to report that to the employer? So is that where the belief of, you know, that it that having a disability should not really demand extensive analysis? So if the person says, you know, I have, you know, I'm diabetic and I, you know, need to go take my insulin shots twice a day, J- just the fact that they're saying that, doesn't the employer just have to kind of make those accommodate? Or how does that work, I guess I should say? Well, it, you know, you said the onus is on you. It, it depends on where, where, where we are. You have no legal obligation to divulge that you have a disability. If you have a disability that doesn't require the employer to do anything, you got no reason, no need to tell them that you have a disability. There's no compulsion to tell them. Okay. If you want an accommodation, like I need to have time to take my insulin or I need to refrigerate my medication or whatever, then you're, you're going to ask the employer for what they call a reasonable accommodation. I want you to do something that, uh, such as provide me that few minutes or whatever, or, they, or let me have access to a refrigerator I might not otherwise have access to, to uh, keep my medications in good order. Those, those kinds of things you can ask to have those things done. You don't have to use magic words like reasonable accommodation, but you have to make the request. <laughs> right. And then the employer, at that point, if it's not clear, it's not obvious that this is something you need, because you don't want employers harassing people when it's clear that's what they need. But if, if it's something you can't see, I mean, you can't look at a person until they're diabetic, then the employer can get uh, some kind of, ask, you can ask for basically evidence or documentation that, in fact, you need what you said you needed. Because you you know, they may either need documentation that you have the condition or documentation that you, A, have the condition, and B, need what you asked for. So those kinds of things you can do. But uh, when it comes to uh, obesity, 
it may or may not know right off looking at you whether you've reached that threshold or, or not reached that threshold. But if the employee feels like some kind of employment consequence came to them that was negative because of what the employer said or did or you know, some kind of action that they took that leads the, the, the person who believes themselves to be a victim to think that was the motive, then they would bring a case and the burden would be on the person bringing the claim that they were discriminated against to prove that they, in fact, were, uh, met the definitions. And it's at that point that the, the ADA uh, w- was revised because that burden was getting to be so heavy on the individual, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> trying to bring the complaint that, you know, it was, it was becoming the bulk, of the, uh, I guess, of what the uh, whole ADA jurisprudence was getting to be about. And that's not really where they wanted the focus to be. So the person coming in, if they can show that you took an action because of their size or, you know, or whatever, they, they, they're not going to have as high a uh, hurdle to go over now as they would have had uh, when, they, when the uh, ADA was first put into place. Okay. Now, just to be clear, let's say that there's, you know, I think it was reported that about a third or was it like 35% of Americans over 20 are considered to be obese in some manner. Mm-hmm. I, and I would probably throw myself in that category, to be quite honest. <laughs> Not nearly as much as I would. <laughs> I would say if, if okay, so you're, you're we're cla- I'm classifying myself as obese. If I am, if I don't feel like I need any sort of accommodations, but let's say that, you know, like you said, the employer sort of looks at you and is like, okay, they're a little bit overweight or whatever, but I'm not making any requests for any accommodations or anything, then we're good to go. If the employer is not doing anything, you know, as far as trying to hold me back from any sort of job require, you know, any if I'm able to fulfill my job in the manner that it is required of me, even though I'm obese, is there any sort of issues that either party should be aware of, either the employee or the employer, or do you just sort of move along and, yes, that person's obese, but they're fulfilling their job to their greatest ability and we have no problems? Well, you know, everything is very much situation-oriented when it comes to uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act and these conditions. One thing I, I was looking at is that, you know, the EEOC originally was looking at morbid obesity, and I think the reason they look at morbid obesity as a disability before this new vote was because they, they could get experts, medical experts, to testify that this was a physiological disorder. Now, if you have the AMA saying that uh, all obesity, not just morbid obesity, is a, a, a disease, right. then you have uh, the, the threshold for when you are obese, from what I've been able to find out, it's you either have a BMI that was, I think, 30 yes. or higher, yep. or, you are, or you're 20% over the ideal weight for your height. Uh, those are kind of the rules of thumb. Then there's 40%. It, it's a, it looks like there's three different levels of obesity. It's like obesity one, two, and three. And morbid obesity is not level one. So you have a whole group of people now who originally, the, uh, when, you know, when we were putting together the regulations, we weren't thinking of as people who were dis- disabled, just people who were overweight or significantly overweight, but not so severe that it was beginning to impact ability to walk and breathe and all of that kind of thing. Right. But now, if you're looking at disease, the other thing that the amendments did is that they broadened what you look at as major life activities. So instead of saying just walking and breathing and learning, working, those kinds of things, that you're also looking at physiological systems inside your body. So you, to the extent you're saying there's some disease here, is your metabolism, you know, really medically off because you're, Reset 30%. You know, there's questions there about, you know, is there some internal body system that is so uh, out of order 
that it would be uh, rise to the level of disability, even if outsiders would not be able to look at you and tell. Now, the other question comes in as well, if this is not impacting my ability to work, well, with any kind of disability, if there's no problem, there's no problem. Okay. But if you, need, uh, if you need an accommodation either to do the work or, as I posited in my article, you have some accommodations that aren't so much to do the work, but to maintain yourself uh, if you have the, the, uh, that condition. Like we were talking about the diabetes. If you had medication that needed refrigeration, and normally the refrigerators are set aside for uh, only certain types of employees, employees at a certain level get that amenity, others usually wouldn't, but you need it and it's there, then they may have to provide it to you because that's what you need in order to, to medicate yourself to keep you going. So you know that that's really an accommodation based on what will happen to your condition, not so much that you it helps you better do whatever it is that you do, uh, you know, in terms of making something lighter and easier to lift or that kind of thing. So I was thinking, if you're a person with obesity, if there are things you need to do to try to manage or uh, control or reverse your obesity, then you may ask for accommodations that are geared toward that. And there's a question mark, at least in my mind, between how much of that would you be obligated to provide. Uh, for example, that I, I mentioned in the article, there was a, a, another article talking about, well, you should have, you should stand up while you work, you know, like have a, have a desk that, that you don't sit at because, <laughs> right. you know, sitting all day is leading to chronic obesity in America. So can you ask for uh, a different kind of desk, a stand-up desk, a desk that has a treadmill attached that so you should be working out and read? I mean, because that'll help you, you know, more, more or less control or reduce or at least stabilize your obesity disease. I mean, at what point does that become something that you really can't ask for? And even if you can't ask for it, can you insist on bringing it in? Because sometimes even if the accommodation is not something the employer, him or herself, would be required to provide you, if you could afford it and get it for yourself, are, you, are they going to be required as an accommodation to at least allow you to do that? So the more people that could potentially uh, raise these kinds of questions in the context of their rights under the disabilities laws, I think you wind up with questions that employers need the answers to and don't really have the answers to now. Okay. So why is all of this important to federal contractors, subcontractors, employers, or is it since, it, like you had mentioned earlier, it doesn't really carry any legal weight, no pun intended, currently? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of the reasons why uh, conditions were looked at as potential dis uh, disability conditions had to do with what, what the medical profession said about them. And that is why I think, we, as I mentioned before, I think the, the agency was comfortable with the notion that morbid obesity, say 100 pounds or more overweight, you know, severe obesity, would be considered a, a medical condition because they could find doctors who would testify to that. Uh, below that, it was not necessarily going to happen because the AMA at that point hadn't said that all disability was a disease. But if you have more and more professionals who are willing to testify that lower and lower the, uh, weight levels still qualify as obesity, then you're going to increase the pool of people who potentially fall in the category that's protected by the disabilities laws. In addition to that, if obesity is a disease under the AMA, you're going to have, I think, more people who might view themselves as regarded as. If someone doesn't hire you to work in a store because they don't think you fit their image because you're obese and they're catering to a thin, tall crowd, you know, then that becomes a question that's not, uh, you know, it, there's, there's not a definitive answer here yet about whether or not the, the courts are going to go along to AMA and say, okay, well, this is based on the fact that you are over 
a certain uh, weight that brings you into obesity, and then according to the AMA, who has some weight in terms of a, a potential authority source, you have a disease, and you weren't hired because of it. There, we're, you know, we're into the regarded as situation. So I, I do believe the confluence of the ADA changes where they made it easier to show that you're in the definition and broadening who is considered to be uh, impaired with uh, the, this problem of obesity. I think all of that together is something that employers need to pay attention to because of the types of accommodation that may be asked for, because of the types of complainants. And also, we're still waiting for the uh, OFCCP's new regulations around disability, and they're going to have to track potentially who has a disability. So you've got all these people who might fall in that category who may not have fallen in the category before. So that makes a difference whether you have to have active outreach. They're talking about potentially having goals set. How do these goals relate to the fact there's so many people who might have uh, this uh, obesity, because we said 35% right. of Americans are viewed as having, are, of being obese. If you don't have to be morbid obese, you just have to be obese to be a person who's potentially uh, could, you know, argue that they're a, dis- a person with a disability. Not all of them would make it, but maybe more than do now. Then do you have to outreach to some measure of that population? Would the fact that you have so many of those people already working for you mean you don't have to outreach at all? I think there are a lot of questions out there that are going to impact in a real way what federal contractors need to do. And that's why at the end of the article, what I'm basically suggesting, and I hope they take me up on it, is that some kind of clarification around this issue is is issued, that I think that we need to have something from EEOC because the things that they do have out there all predate this new approach to obesity as a disease. And OFCCP, I think, also needs to put something out there so that contractors will understand how all of this is going to play in to uh, determining whether or not they're satisfying uh, these these new standards that OFCCP wants to put in place. Right, because if the new standard, let's say, hypothetically goes through that it's at 7% of hiring these underrepresented groups and, you know, 35% of all Americans are obese anyhow, you know, playing the devil's advocate here, it could actually work in favor of showing that you've got these underrepresented groups actually represented in your in your workforce. Which is actually what that, that occurred to me. I'm thinking even if you're, say, 35%, maybe half of those would, would meet the definition of disability, you still got like twice as many, right. you know, 14%. And if your population of, of employees is large enough, maybe it's reflective of that. So now you've got, let's say, 10 to 14% people with disabilities because you've got so many people who are, uh, you know, are in the category of obesity that you know could reasonably be thought to be covered. Are you done? Right. You know they don't have. They're not. The only the only subcategory that was discussed was severe. That you're saving two percent for severe disabilities, but still, that's a big chunk of uh, the potential requirement to to meet a threshold that could be met in a way that I don't think the agency was thinking about when it put that out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, in terms of compliance, what can federal contractors do with this information as of its current state? Well, in the current state, there's really, I mean, like I said, it has no actual legal weight, but I think they need to think about, is there any way that that they're behaving or acting that might cause people to come into, say, the regarded as? One of the areas I think where they particularly need to be sensitive is this big push to uh, have people do healthy things to lower their risk of having high insurance costs. 
you know, they've got a lot of wellness programs. They've got people that are, you know, trying to get together and lower their BMI and all of that kind of thing. And how they advertise for these things or, you know, the way they reward or, or not reward or if there's some punishment or, low, or higher prices because you don't, you know, participate. You have to kind of be careful that you're not uh, stigmatizing people based on weight. And if you're doing a situation, I mean, the, the whole thing about the insurance itself and who gets covered and what gets covered is a whole other story we don't have time for. But when you're out there talking about, you're talking about these wellness programs uh, to the extent that people with obesity may actually fall under the disability, at least some subset of them, you really need to be careful what you're saying about people or what, you know, what kind of image you're presenting, uh, a negative image that you're presenting to your, your employees about people who have this particular disability. Okay. So I know you've seen a lot of them. I mean, this, that's all the rage now. You know, eat your carrots, you know, get out there and exercise. You know, don't be uh, overweight. It leads to all these diseases. And, I, you know, you can just see the posters up. Well, if you're a person who has this as a disability, how is that, you know, how welcoming is that workplace? No, I, I think you bring up a good point. I was actually at a conference last month, and it was for human resources. And I got to tell you, about one-fourth of the whole conference was about wellness programs and making sure that your workforce is healthy. And, um, you know, the vending machines actually had carrots and celery and, you know, milk and, and tea and, and stuff like that. So I definitely see the shift in in heading that direction. I don't know. I w- it was just interesting because it's sort of a, a push to go that direction, maybe maybe because thirty five percent of the Americans are are obese. But yeah, and that's that's where you run into the potential of because you know you have to when you have your anti harassment policies, uh, the disability is should definitely be a factor on that. You shouldn't be able to harass people on the basis of disability. But then when it comes to the balance between pushing wellness, which has all its virtuous reasons to, to be pushed, and balancing that against not uh, creating an unwelcome environment for people who have this disability, you're going to run into a little area of tension in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you hear those uh, organizations that do uh, wellness programs internally. Actually, I think when we first moved into this office building, one of the offices below us tried to get us to join their uh, their weight loss program. And it, and it was funny because we were thinking, well, geez, did they see us coming up and down the elevators? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? I mean, we were like approached the first week, but right. And then, you know, there's that thought of like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? And, you know, so there's so many other things that sort of go into where this could potentially lead. Um, but any final tips or best practices or just final thoughts that you have for our federal contractors and subcontractors out there listening? I think this is, being aware of the other side of the coin is really important because sometimes you can get so enthusiastic about what seems to be a virtuous program like trying to increase wellness and make people in your workforce healthier and presumably happier that you can take that to a place where you may run into some challenges from the EEO perspective. So I think you have to be very uh, sensitized to that. I also think that the, uh, the, the public policy side of it If contractors want more clarity on this issue, I think they need to really make that known to the enforcement agencies. And it's probably better to make that known earlier rather than later because the way policy develops, either they'll develop it up front and tell you what you need to do, which doesn't usually happen quickly enough to avoid somebody being the test case. But an employer doesn't want to really be that test case. So to the extent they can get additional information from the agencies, will this AMA decision uh, that all, all obesity, not just morbid obesity, is a disease. 
Are you going to re- regulate in that area? Has it changed your perspective on what's covered? You know, how will the new lower standard for regarded as impact this? These are the questions I think that contractors need to make the agencies know that they require some answers. They, they need some additional guidance. Because unless that comes, you know, comes from the contract community, the agencies have such a long roster of stuff they'd like to do now that I'm sure that's not uh, right at the top of their list. So I, I really do think some input from the regulated community, hey, we are trying to balance these different initiatives, all of which have government support somewhere, how to do it in a way that's not going to get us into trouble. Well, thank you, Sandy. We appreciate your expertise and personal thoughts about this topic. And this does it for today's show, Government Compliance. Continue listening to localjobnetwork.com radio for your latest employment-related programs. And if you have comments, suggestions, or questions, email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm Jacqueline Peterson for localjobnetwork.com radio, and thanks for listening.